you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Like I said, it was a full service, but the Lord has a word for us today from His Word. If you'll listen fast, I'll speak a little quick this morning. But uh, let's uh, start off Romans chapter 12 this morning. A couple of years ago, Wendy and I went and stayed at a bed and breakfast in Vermont. And it was a bed and breakfast that had recently been purchased by a family from Boston that owns a uh, Boston interior design firm. So when we had went, it didn't look like the typical maybe Vermont bed and breakfast that you think of. It was the inside was modern and a little bit more modern and a little bit more uh, trendy, but they kept the Vermont flavor. And one of the coolest things we saw was this chandelier that they had in the dining area. And I got a picture of it this morning to show you what it looked like. We walked in the dining area and they had this chandelier that was made out of this branch and they had these somehow had run wires and and electricity or something I don't know maybe they were candles not honestly right now that I'm looking at it I can't remember if those were candles in there or it was electricity but they had this beautiful chandelier up there over it and it was this great centerpiece for the room and you just looked at it and noticed it it drew your attention and it, it definitely was the center and focal point of the room and I looked at that and one part of me said I could do that. <laughs> you know, I can, how hard can that be? You know, you go out and get a branch and you, you hang, it in the, hang it in the living room and then you, you maybe you run some wires or hang some lights off it. And look, it looks beautiful. I could do that. Uh, and so uh, many of you maybe are expecting that the next picture I'm going to show you is going to be my poor attempt at doing that. But I'll tell you, I've been married for 19 years and I have learned some things. And I knew my limits. And I was not going to attempt that. So I just admired the beauty without coming home and trying to make it. If you're wondering why, ask Wendy about the banana tree that I promised to make her uh, when we first got married and attempted to make and uh, never uh, came to fruition. Um, So I'm not going to try and attempt to make a chandelier. But the reason I show it to you this morning is because of this whole idea of repurposing things for another purpose. This idea that you can take a branch that other people might burn or just rake away and all of a sudden it becomes a beautiful centerpiece and focal point in a very beautiful place to uh, eat and gather. It's repurposing something. It's something that's very popular in our day and age today. Lots of you, any of you watch HGTV or some of these shows, everything's always being repurposed. Like, oh, I found this at a yard sale and look what I did with it. I found this at, you know, an antique show and look what I did with it. And I know, like, I could go to a yard sale and find something and bring it home and, like, set it up someplace. And Wendy would be like, why is that trash in our house? Because it's not going to look the same. But but it's very popular to repurpose things. This cabinet here um, sits in my office usually, but I asked the guys to bring it up on stage today. Um, It's... uh, It's not a very valuable cabinet per se, I don't think, but it's very significant to me because it sits in the corner of my office, but what it used to sit in is the corner of my grandfather's office uh, when he was a family physician in Somerville. 
And it used to sit in his office, only it wasn't filled with Bibles and pens and things. It was filled with uh, needles and medical instruments and all kinds of uh, scissors and all kinds of cool-looking tools that I always wanted to play with but never could. Uh, But this sat in his office for many years. And when he retired a number of years ago, it was on the side of the road when we came to help him move out of his office. And I said, what are you doing with that? And he said he was throwing it away. And I asked him if I could have it, and, uh, and he said uh, I could. And so it's been sitting in my office. Now, it's somewhat repurposed. It's still a cabinet, but instead of instruments to heal the physical soul, it has, I mean, the physical body has instruments to heal the spiritual soul with my, the, the Bible in there and other things. And in a sense, uh, what was for one person maybe not valuable anymore becomes for another person very valuable and significant and repurposed. This uh, item is probably a little bit more in the repurposed uh, line of thinking. Uh, it's a beautiful bag uh, that is made, and it's blue, this beautiful blue on the outside, and this cool-looking pattern on the inside. And it was also uh, crafted by a fine craftsman that I happen to be married to. Uh, Wendy made this bag a number of years ago. And you look at it and you said, oh, cool, you got some material and you made a bag. I look at it and say, that used to be my shirt that I would wear. Um, And these used to be my jeans. Um, And what was uh, destined for the trash uh, and had served its purpose is suddenly repurposed into this wonderful bag that we have used very, very often uh, and has served us well. But it's this idea of repurposing um, things that I want to talk to you about this morning. We are still in our Roman series, still talking about free, but we've hit Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so we want to do a little bit of a mini-series within a series. Uh, Within our free series, we want to stop and pause for four weeks on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and just kind of park for a few moments right on these very significant verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, it's raining if you left your windows open, um, if you're wondering what that noise is. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're going to park for a few, uh, few weeks right there on those verses and talk about being repurposed. Last week when Pastor Brian was here, he talked to you about this idea that in the book of Romans, we've really been talking a lot about what we've been saved from, but we are now transitioning to what we're saved for. Big difference. For 11 chapters, Paul has talked about, here's what you're saved from. Now chapters, uh, from the doxology at the end of chapter 11 through uh, the middle of chapter, the end of chapter 15, it's what you're saved for. So the series is free because salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus has already paid the price for it. Salvation is a free gift for you. The series is free because you are set free in Jesus Christ from whatever is in your past. And the series is free because now you are free from your past and free for whatever God has in store for you. Free for repurposing. And really, when I think about being repurposed, that's what I think about. Because in order for something to be repurposed, it has to be set free from its original obligation. This is no longer going to serve very well as a pair of jeans for me or as a shirt. 
So it had to be set free from its original obligation in order to be repurposed for something else. And when you and I are set free from sin and our past and everything that once held us, we are now set free to be repurposed for what God has for us. And so God wants to repurpose your life for the same reason that we want to repurpose fabric and, and, and branches and a cabinet. Why? Because there's value there. Because there's something there that is still a value that God says, I can make something beautiful out of that. And no matter what is in your past and what is there, God looks at you and says, when you come to Jesus and you are set free from your past, I see value in you and I can make something beautiful out of you. I want to repurpose your life, God says to you. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. And so that's what we come to in Romans chapter 12. Because from here on out, we went from theology, Romans chapters 1 through 11. The end of 11, we last week said we came to doxology, right? Glory, right glory, giving glory to God. And from doxology, we go to lifeology. I just made that word up. But there needs to be a word like that that has an ology on it. But it's really just practical living, right? So your theology informs your doxology, which should result in practical living life for God. And so we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and let's look at it this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And you guys can just leave that slide up for the rest of the service because I want us to just be able to focus on that verse right there. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In this verse, we have Paul. The word here is appeal. Some of your translation has urge or exhort, or if you're in the old King James, it has beseech. It's this persuasive measure that Paul's saying, I beseech you, I urge you, I appeal to you to do this. And that is to do what? Let's jump down about halfway through the verse, and then we're going to skip up a little more afterwards. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul's urging. I urge you, I appeal to you that God has repurposed you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Here's what God calls you to. Let's look at those three words, bodies, living, sacrifice, real quickly because it's an interesting mix of words that Paul brings together. First, he says, your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's not because he's excluding the mind, your will, your emotions, but it's because Paul lived in a world that felt very, that was very, could very easily disconnect the body from the soul and the spirit. In the Greek world, they could very easily say, you can believe things with your mind and your soul and your spirit and then do whatever you want with your body. And you're fine because your spirit and your body are disconnected. In fact, they had very little respect for the body. They had very little respect for, for, the, for the body. It, was, it, it could be used and abused and, and it was your soul and your spirit. So Paul says, it's interesting that Paul would choose the language, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not to the neglect of your mind and your will and your heart, but to say all of it is included, even your bodies and especially your bodies. That what you do 
has to be worship and living sacrifice unto God. Now we in the 21st century can fall into the same mindset because we use a lot of non-body language when we talk about our relationship with God. We ask, have you asked Jesus into your heart? We say, do you believe? We talk about being in the faith. A lot of internal language, a lot of abstract language, but what it doesn't often call forth is these actions of the body. So we, I think, need this reminder as well that Paul is saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your life lived out between Sundays is what Paul's talking about. That the life that you live, your body is called to be a living sacrifice. We need to be reminded of that as well. And then this next word, living. Interesting term to be in front of sacrifice. Because many of Paul's readers would have been in that Old Testament sacrificial mindset where a sacrifice was not living. The very definition of sacrifice was dead. You brought an animal, it was killed, it became a dead sacrifice. But Paul says, not you. What God is looking for is will you be a living sacrifice? That God is looking for something different. God is, he's saying, God doesn't want simply the gift, he wants the giver. Not simply the worship, he wants the worshiper. Not simply the offering, he wants the offerer. That God, the life that we are called to live is a living sacrifice. It's different than the dead sacrifice. It's the difference between a child who brings a present to uh, her mom and just gives this present. Oh, God, mom, I made this for you. Isn't it so beautiful? Isn't it so great? And the mom says, oh, yes, it's beautiful. It's great. But then the child goes and lives life however they want, irrespective of their parents' wishes. Right? That's what it can be like. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. A living sacrifice lives your life for God. It doesn't just die for something, and that's really the question. Jesus isn't necessarily asking, will you die for me? He wants to know, will you live for me? Because if you won't live for him, then you will never die for him. The question is, will you live for Jesus? Will you be a living sacrifice? Because if you are willing to die for something, I'll just, I'm not sure if you know this, but you can only give that gift once. You can only die for something in someone once. But will you live for Jesus? Ephesians, uh, Paul is talking to husbands and how husbands are supposed to love their wives. He said, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. In other words, be willing to give your life up for your wife. That's the kind of love you should have. And I think sometimes we as men would look at that verse and say, oh yeah, I'm willing to do that. I would die for my wife. And you might be sitting here and say, Pastor, yeah, absolutely. If we are walking down a dark alley in Boston some night and some guy jumps out with a knife and he's going to rob us, I would get between him and my wife and I would tell her to run and I would say, you know, I'd just stand there and, and I would fight him off and I'd be willing to give my life for my wife. Wonderful. She wants to know, will you put your dish in the dishwasher instead of leaving it by the sink? Because if you're not willing to live for someone, how can you really say you'd be willing to die for them? Right? And, and that's what Paul's talking about. Okay, death, will you be a living sacrifice for God? Because how you live your life really shows what you really believe. 
I think about Secret Service guys. Secret Service guys that are assigned to the President of the United States to protect his life. They can say all they want. Oh yeah, I'd lay down my life for the President. But that's not what the test is. In fact, they could say, look, I'll stand in front of a bullet right now. You can shoot me. Well, that's not going to be helpful. The question is, will you spend every waking moment of your life and of your time protecting the President of the United States? Will you, in the menial, minuscule work of researching some guy's credentials who wants a meeting with the President, see that as meaningful work, as a living sacrifice in order to do your job of giving your life for someone? And Jesus is asking and Paul is appealing and urging and exhorting and beseeching us to be a living sacrifice. Not just to believe in your mind and not just to be willing to lay down your life if you're called to be a martyr, but will you live your life for Jesus? So present your bodies living and sacrifice. I think most of us understand the word sacrifice. It's an offering. It's something given to another. It always costs something. It's our lives for God as a sacrifice for him. To put it simply, these three words, I put it simply, I put it this way, all of life lived all of the time, all for God. All of life lived all the time, all for God. Or all of life, all for God, all the time. That's what Paul's talking about. Because a sacrifice, once you give it, and once you say, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for God, you don't get to take it off the altar. See, that's, what, that's the danger of a living sacrifice, right? I mean, the dead sacrifice is going to stay there. We living sacrifices, we like to kind of crawl off the altar. And, and so we have to be careful that a living sacrifice is all of life, lived all the time, all for God. We're going to talk about in a few moments what that looks like as we wrap up. But just before we get there, let's talk about why would we live a life this way. Is Paul just saying you should and do it out of obligation? Paul gives you two reasons why you should live your life as a living sacrifice. First one is in the beginning of the verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, say that next word together, mercies of God. This says by, uh, I think some of your other translations that you're reading will say in view of. And I think in view of is probably a little bit clearer to the meaning of what it's saying. In view of God's mercies, it is a in light of, it is a by the mercies, in light of those mercies that you would live your life this way. Paul's not saying you must do this as a command. He's appealing. And what is he appealing on the basis of? The mercies of God. Really? What he's appealing on the basis of is the last 11 chapters of Romans. He's saying, in fact, the, the, the verse in many of the translations starts out therefore. The therefore is a little further down here. Therefore, and that therefore carries so much weight. That therefore carries the weight of 11 chapters. In light of all of this, for Paul it's 11 chapters. For us, it's every sermon from the week after Easter until today. We've been talking about Romans. In light of all of this, I appeal to you in view of God's mercies to live your life as a living sacrifice. 
And that's what he's saying. He's saying, in light of the fact that God has saved you by his grace, in light of the fact that God has given you the free gift of salvation, that even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. The mercy is that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The mercy is that all things work together for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The mercy is we didn't get what we deserved and what our sins deserved. The mercies of God and Paul he's talking about are in light of all these mercies, in light of the salvation we did not deserve, you are to live your life as a living sacrifice. So when it seems difficult to live as a living sacrifice, we've probably lost sight of God's mercy. When you and I get up and endeavor to serve God and it's drudgery and arduous and difficult, it's not because the task we've been called to is arduous and difficult, though it might be, it's probably because we've lost sight of God's mercies. Because in view of God's mercies, he's appealing that we would present our bodies in this way. The second reason, so the first reason that Paul gives is in view of the mercy of God that we are to be a living sacrifice. The second reason he gives is at the end of the verse. Which is your spiritual worship? Your spiritual worship. So why should you be a living sacrifice? Why should you do this? Because it's in view of God's mercies, but it's also your spiritual worship or your spiritual act of worship. Or another translation is going to say your true and proper worship. Again, if you're in the old King James, it's going to be your reasonable act of service. Let me take you back to math class. Let me take you back to school a little bit. We're talking about school today a little bit with our kids. Let me take you back to math class. Everybody remember the transitive property? Transitive property in math class. If A equals B and B equals C, then what is the relationship of A to C? A equals C, right? A has to equal C. If A equals B and B equals C, then A has to equal C. It's only logical. It's only reasonable. It follows as a natural construct that that is what's happening. It's the logical nature of the situation Spiritual worship, the word used here for spiritual that Paul uses is the Greek word logikos. It's the same word we get logic and logical from. It's translated, the reason it's translated so differently in so many different translations is because people are trying to capture really what Paul means because there's really a sense here that Paul is saying it is your logical act of worship. It is your logical and reasonable response to what God has done for you to live your life as a living sacrifice for God. That what naturally follows when you understand the mercies of God, what naturally follows the most rational, logical, reasonable response is to live your life as a living sacrifice for him. This is the most logical thing in the world. Now, the truth is, when it comes to living for Christ, there are many people in our world that think it's irrational, illogical. There are many people in your life that would say, why are you wasting your time in church on Sunday? And you give money to them too? What are you, why are you wasting your money? What are you doing? It's illogical. It's irrational. And yet Paul says it's the most rational and logical thing in the world. When it comes to the Christian life, what is illogical, what is irrational, what is illogical is to say we understand God's mercies and yet not live the life God calls us to live. That's illogical. 
That's irrational. To say that I understand all of what you're saying in chapters 1 through 11 and now I'm just going to go live the way I want to live. That would be illogical. If the work of Christ does not motivate us to go and joyfully live a life of faith, then one of two things is true. Either we have not understood the actions of Christ or we have not had them in full view as we're living. It's irrational as a Christian to say I understand the mercy of God and not live my life as a living sacrifice in light of the grace I've been given. There's many people out there, and I've heard it often during this campaigning season, it's 2016! Whenever something comes up, uh, uh, something that was a candidate wants to disagree with from the past, it's 2000, we need to get with the times, it's 2016! But what's true is that if God has done all of this for us, then no matter what year and date it is, we are called to live his life, our lives for him. Those of you that have your actual paper Bible with you this morning, do me a favor. I want you to do something. You get, you get, your, you get your Bible with you. Look at, take out your Bible. Look at the back of your Bible. I want you to look at the back of it. Look at the back cover. The back cover. Mine's blank. Look at the back cover. Open up that back page. Show it to the people around you. Some of you, some of them may have never seen one. This is a paper Bible. You, you can't, you can't like do this and click on it. But uh, although I like those ones too, um, and uh, look at the back. Look at the last couple pages, and look at the front. Open up that first page. Anyone find the expiration date? Because I'm still looking. No Best Buy used by. No best used by date. Still, still active. Still the word of God. Still what God calls us to live our life by, whether it's 2016 or 16. It's the most logical response to the way God has called us to live. There are people in your life, though, that will think it's foolish. You work with them. You live with them. They're in your neighborhood. There are people who think it's foolish. There will always be people that way, that feel that way. But what Paul is saying is when you understand the mercy of God, it's the most logical response there is. See, I can't expect someone who's not a Christian to understand why I live the way I do and why I do the things I do and what I do and the values I've chosen and the decisions. I can't expect, like I can't even chastise them for that because they don't understand. It's a different mindset. It's a different paradigm. Because I only live my life this way because it's in view of God's mercy. And if you don't have a complete understanding and a view of God's mercy, then you will, it makes no sense for you to live your life this way. I, I am living this way as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. And if you understood God's mercy, I think you would live your life this way too. But you got to understand God's mercy to do it. See, the legalistic life is the life that comes to, starts in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, without taking into account the previous 11 chapters and just tries living that life without knowing why you're living it. Jim Elliott was a missionary uh, in the 1950s to South America. He was one of five missionaries who was killed in ministering, out, ministering in Operation Aka to the Huarani people group. He was 29 years old when he was killed in uh, the mission to reach these people who were eventually reached by Jim's wife, Elizabeth, and others. And some might call Jim Elliott a fool. 
wasted your life. Irrational, illogical, 29 years old, smart guy. All kinds of opportunities before him. Dies on the mission field at 29 years old. Leaves his wife behind. Foolish, irrational, illogical. That's not what Jim said. In his journal entry of August 28th, 1949, Jim said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Complete, logical, rational response in view of God's mercies. If you don't have God's mercies in view, it's not going to make any sense. If you don't understand what God's done for you, it's not going to make any sense. But when you do, the only logical thing is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice for God. As we close, what's that look like Sunday to Sunday? What's that look like for you? Well, it's going to look a little different in everyone's context, obviously. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you know what it's going to look like in your life to be a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. As I considered what this looks like, two of my favorite quotes came to mind, both by men named Martin Luther. One by Martin Luther, the 16th century theologian, uh, one of the originators of the Protestant Reformation, the other by Martin Luther King Jr., the 20th century pastor, civil rights activist. Martin Luther, the theologian in the 16th century, was approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. Luther asked him, what is your work now? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. Much to the cowboy's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. He didn't tell the man to leave his shoe business and become a monk. As Christians, we faithfully serve God in a variety of vocations and jobs. But we serve to the glory of God in whatever we do and whatever God calls us to. That's the motivation. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said in one of my favorite quotes, he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep sweets as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. That what you do, you do to the glory of God. That where God has called you tomorrow in that workplace in that family situation, in your, as a parent, in, as, a, as a student, where God has called you, you do it and you do it to the best of your ability and you do it to God's glory. That you are a living sacrifice. That's what it is. I was reminded this week of what that looks like when I was listening to a pastor, Duffy Robbins. Uh, some of you may have heard of him. He was big in the youth movement um, a number of years back and He was talking about his dad and his dad loving his mom when his mom was dying of Alzheimer's. And many years, and some people, some of you in this church have walked down that road and it's not an easy road to walk down. And Duffy saw his dad ministering to his mom, loving her through these years and that decline and that long goodbye, as you call it, George. The long goodbye. And saw him all these years loving his wife. And, and he eventually said to his dad, how'd you do at the funeral? Actually, he said to his dad, but his dad was looking at a picture of his mom. You know, how'd you do it? Why'd you do it, dad? And his dad, looking down at the picture, Duffy said, without even looking up, didn't even look up. And he said, 
in light of everything she did for me and all the love and all the years we had together, it was a joy and it was the least that I could do. And I think about that and I think that's a living sacrifice. In view of the love that we shared, in view of all that we've had, in view of all that you've given to me, I will live my life. So in view of those mercies, when you've got to get up at night, when you're changing bedpans, when you're changing the sheets because they're soiled for the third time at night, when you're rolling them over so they don't get muscle atrophy, when you're going through all of that, why? In view of the mercies and the love of what you've done, this is my reasonable, logical act of worship, act of service. And God's, Paul's saying the same thing, in view of everything God's done for you. When you understand all the mercies of God, then your only logical, reasonable response is to live all of your life, all the time, all for God, right where he's called you, right where he's placed you. So as you leave this place and you prepare to go to all the different places God has called you, may you consider how God has called you to be a living sacrifice in the place where he has called you. To love people who are difficult to love. To share the message of hope of the gospel with people who don't even know they need to hear it. To be the hands and the feet of God where he has called you to be. May you live your life as a living sacrifice in view of what God has done for you. This is your spiritual act of worship. Amen. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to understand with our minds, to commit with our hearts, but to live out with our bodies what it means to be a living sacrifice for our God, for you. I pray for every man, woman, young person that's here today that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and let us know in our particular context, in our particular place, what are you calling us to do as a living sacrifice for you? Help us, Lord Jesus, to live for you all the time, all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.